1: Welcome to New Books in African-American Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Adam McNeil. This is a special series of roundtables on African-American studies. We're going to be talking to scholars about old trends and new directions in the field, along with what it means to be an African-American studies scholar. Today, we have our first interview of the roundtable series. And, Leah, let me tell you, I'm excited. This person is no stranger to these airwaves. Her name is none other than Dr. Ashley Farmer, the first three-time guest and my 55th interview within this series. I'm excited. And Dr. Farmer is Assistant Professor of African and African Diaspora Studies and History at the University of Texas at Austin. And today, instead of discussing a book, Dr. Farmer is on to discuss my favorite read of 2018. Her Black Perspectives piece titled Archiving While Black and Black Perspectives is the award winning blog of the African-American Intellectual History Society. Welcome back for the third time to the program, Dr. Farmer.
0: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: Most definitely. And so um, to, to dig in, what prompted you to author this piece?
0: Um, You know, it's interesting because I actually started the draft for this piece maybe two years before it actually um, appeared on Black Perspectives. I was finishing up some of the archival work for my um, book, Remaking Black Power, and I was visiting um, Howard University's um, Archives, and then I was also visiting other archives at Duke and in New York at the public library and I was just thinking to myself about the differences between um, how I was treated in an archive that focused on black people and was largely run by black people versus one that was not and then the other thing I was thinking about as um this piece was kind of percolating was that I had a um, class at Duke University. That um it took students into the archive for, and um you know it was a challenge, I think, because um you know i there th- it seemed as though students being there, particularly students I had an all black class being there, um you know was not something that they were used to, and I've experienced similar things in taking other classes um to the archive at other universities, so you know not just to call out um. Duke is the only one. And so, um, I was thinking a lot about my own personal experience of being in the archives. And then also, you know, my job as a historian and a teacher is to introduce as many students as possible to the archive. But I wondered about how comfortable my students were really feeling in that kind of space. Um, so, you know, I started a draft of this and I put it away and I did another draft and I put it away. Um, so it just took me quite a while to kind of, um, you know, figure out what I wanted to say. And it wasn't really about these, um, you know, individual isolated incidents. It was kind of about the architecture of the archive and thinking about how it's just not a space that's designed for black and brown people. And, you know, much like the space of the Academy, is not really designed for black and brown people.
1: Yeah. And that's why, for me, the piece was amazing, because it allowed for readers who may or may not be historians to really understand what it means for not only historians right but black historians to do the work that they do um and and so with that can you talk to us a bit about um maybe situations that have happened um within your own time as a scholar as a historian in the archive and and because you detailed a couple times in the piece uh, and so a good part about us you know doing this kind of thing is People can just go and get it, right? They, they can mm-hmm. listen and literally, you know, go get it without having to have this paywall, which is a whole thing that people are talking about on Twitter right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so a couple of things that I mentioned in the piece and then, um, you know, I mentioned when I speak about the piece, you know, in kind of longer form through... Um, You know, keynote dresses and stuff is um, one, just the actual space of the archive. Sometimes we don't think about like how much it is to go into that space, be literally surrounded by pictures of dead white guys usually. Um, And then on top of that, I have been in spaces where, you know, there's racist paraphernalia that they're displaying as part of their collection. And that doesn't mean that that stuff should not be displayed, but it was really very much devoid of context and kind of in the space in which I'm working. So my, you know, body and my mind in that space looks very different from a white person going into that space. Um, other examples of um, issues I face in the archive is there's kind of a lack of training in terms of who, um, you know, what the archival holdings are for African-American history. And there's a great set of archivists that talk about kind of the finding aid as also a tool of this kind of um, discrimination. And what they mean by that is that whoever classifies the finding aid chooses the keywords and chooses what to highlight. That not only makes the collection known in one certain way, but it also obscures the other things that are embedded in that collection. Um, And so sometimes I would go to an archive, you know, and I was sure of what they had because I had done my research ahead of time. Um, but the archivist was very, you know, um, or didn't really understand the holdings they had in black history. And here I'm talking about archives that are not obviously devoted to black history. Um, sometimes I've heard even that I won't find much there or the things that I'm researching are are, are, you know, marginal. I've even been asked to step aside so that the archivist can help somebody else who they felt kind of, um, I guess their research more strongly fit, um, within that. And then kind of the final thing, I think about a lot when I'm in the archive is um, the surveillance of the archive. So, certainly, I understand that um, you have to keep an eye on your materials and you need to make sure that your materials are being handled with care. But there's a lot of surveillance and processes that go into the archive that a black or brown person who's constantly being surveilled feels. Um, and the suspicion with which i met that I don't understand the procedures or that I'm not complying with that surveillance is not the same suspicion that's being heaped upon my white counterparts when I'm in the archive. And perhaps even, I guess the most elementary kind of understanding of it too, is just usually I'm the only black person and you know, in the staff or those patrons visiting and also typically the only black woman.
1: Right, and for me, I definitely uh, have had something you know a couple things even similar uh, to me with some of the work that i've been doing where you'll go into like you know doing work on slavery going into an archive and literally in the fighting aid not having anything pertaining to slavery or if you're looking digitally that there's no metadata um to to signpost okay that i'm engaging with materials that would be uh that that should to the public be shown as slavery, but, or as slavery, uh, documents, um, and plantation documents, but because the metadata is not there, who, who who's going to know. And, and mm-hmm. so that's why, um, you know, this particular work is, uh, so, so, so important to, to us all. Um, But then also, you know, you talked about the training that you've uh, that you've done with some of your uh, students and in classes in in various spaces. Um, So so can you talk to us more about that? Uh, How how do you help to equip your students um, at UT and and the ones that you've had over the years to 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 I I don't know if deal with, you know, the stresses of it is the best way. But what I got for words right now. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, I understand. I mean, so one of the things that I think is really important, no matter what history class you take, even if it's like a big lecture class, or a small um, kind of research class is just the introduction to the archive, because how can I be teaching you the craft of history if I don't, um, you know, expose you to that. So, um, you know, I try to help my students Um, understand what an archive is by having the archivist come to the classroom first before they even ever step foot in the archive so that they can understand that there's somebody there they're supposed to talk to. Um, They can get kind of a rundown of the rules ahead of time um, and understand the procedures and things that people are asking them to do are the procedures that are expected of everybody. But also this is serving the purpose on the other front of kind of familiarizing the archive with my largely black and brown classes so that they understand that there are going to be groups of these people coming into their archive and they pay tuition there and they have a right to be there as much as anybody else or any other scholar. And, you know, it's it's really quite a wonderful experience to see students um, get to, you know, hold something or see something that... Um, you know, they never thought that they would see or understand that kind of makes the history more real to them. Um, so it's very important to me that each of my students feel empowered to go and do that and that they have a right to be in that space.
1: And and I think that's one of the most important aspects of the entire piece is the empowerment aspect that you're providing uh, not only to the readers within the f- form that is coming in through uh black perspectives or the one that got picked up by the chronicle uh but also the fact that you're empowering your students to be able to uh to 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 feel empowered in these spaces to ask questions to uh to 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 really investigate and to really get mm-hmm. down to what it means to be a historian and and for you you know with that being said, what does it mean for you to train you know the the next crop of, of historians?
0: I mean, I consider it my honor and my privilege. I think that um, there is, you know, like these key kind of humanities and social science disciplines, um, history can give you the lens through which and a framework through which to not only understand the past, but also understand the world around you. And we all know that the people who write the history kind of get to shape these narratives in whichever way they see fit. So I love being able to introduce a new set of people into kind of um, critical thinking by way of showing them um, all of the things that they have not been told or been left out. Um, often my students in my big introduction to African-American history class say that my class could be called All Your Faves are Problematic. Um, or <laughs> <laughs> but really, you know, what I'm, you know, bigger. Than that i'm trying to train them to say you know not only can history show you a clear understanding of how we got here but it can also give you the skills with which to interpret the world around you whether that be you know when somebody posts something on facebook that looks like a map but what are they really leaving out looking at a timeline looking at who went back and read something and if people are quoting it right or they need to go back to the source um so i think um, when i'm training historians or training people at the very least to have a history lens um, I'm training them to be critical thinkers, and I'm hoping that I'm giving them kind of a skill set and a framework and a vocabulary with which to talk about um what they see going around them in truthful and meaningful ways. Um, but also, you know, I think what are we doing this work for if it also doesn't incite people to behave differently? One of the things that I constantly um tell my students is that, you know, it's okay not to know. We are all born woke and understanding everything, and I'm mm-hmm. glad that you are, you know taking it upon yourself to be able to learn, but once you know something, you can't unknow it. And the mark of a thinking individual is to behave differently once one knows that stuff. Um, and so one of the things I think that historians really have the power to do is to help people know, and in that knowing, hopefully shift their behaviors in the world. So that's how I kind of think about history and kind of tangible action in that way.
1: And that's great because, you know, it makes me also think about, um, what this piece has really represented, um, since it came out, I guess, around like a, uh, over a year ago now, Mm -hmm. you're you're hearing some change. Um, and, and, and I'm sure that, you know, I'm not, I'm not the first person to, uh, to, to, to discuss this with you, um, maybe in the podcast form, but definitely not just in general. And so Mm -hmm. for you as the scholar who has written, who, who wrote the piece, what have you thought about the reactions that you, you've had to it?
0: <laughs> yeah, um, the reactions have ran the gamut have been really interesting. Um, You know, a lot of people said that, um, you know, obviously they too have experienced some form of that down to, you know, I don't know, it's a, you know, kind of shock that such a thing could exist or that I could call archives racist or, and really what I'm calling is the structure that we have created that is called the archive, which is a, you know, man-made fundamental construction um, as having bias built into it, both in its structure and t- and also kind of its um, what it collects and what it does. So there's been surprise from that all the way to, like, thanks for articulating what I've also felt. But um, I also want to point out um, some of the responses that I've gotten specifically from archivists. So um, just in response, you know, I spoke about my experience at Duke, you know, at the top of the podcast. But I have to say that I um, met with... Um, I came into contact with some of the archivists at Duke um, speaking about this piece last August at the um, Society for American Archivists. And I would say that those archivists had taken it to heart the most and had actually created like a little um, pamphlet about how to decolonize and um, kind of rid white supremacy from the archive and a list of things that they were doing to change it, um, which I thought was pretty phenomenal. Um, I've also heard from other archivists who have said that they have tried to bring um, this piece up, you know, within their archivist circles or perhaps at whatever archival institution that they work at. Um, and it's been met with a lot of pushback again, because this idea that somehow archives are neutral, um, but also, Um, those who brought it into their circles have said that they've liked that they've kind of gotten an entree into that. Um, a lot of the thinking is about how do you collect things and how do you be ethical about the materials, which is really, really important. And I'm glad we're having those conversations, but, um, you know, I don't, I think people had thought maybe less so, or have maybe been less focused on how, um, they, whether or not they were making the archive an inclusive space. Or in what ways were, you know, you just inheriting a place that perpetuated these biases, but kind of need to point them out and move forward. So um, it's really run the gamut, but I've really been um, the most kind of excited and heartened by um, the archivist response to it and their willingness to say, you know, we hear you and here's some concrete ways that we can make this a space that black and brown people feel comfortable in
1: and and that and that is the kind of service that is just so amazing and and I want to thank you for it because you know you're you're aiding you know not only those who are in the pipeline like myself and other grad students but also those who have not been what I, what we can call born historians, right? You know, mm-hmm. they, they, they may be alive, mm-hmm. but they have not had that birth, you know, into the historian profession. Um right. and, and so, you know, I just want to say uh, uh, thank you and kudos for the work that you're doing. While also asking you, you know, you talked about the, you know, excitement. What excites you mm-hmm. about being a historian? What excites you about all of the work? This is the third time in less than two <laughs> years, right? You're one of my yeah. early, and I don't think I ever told you this, but I, the first time I interviewed you, I was actually sitting in the Museum of African American History in oh, the wow. in the actual church. Um, mm. I, I worked there, mm. and my mom had mm. come in, and so I had actually uh, my mom wanted to go walk around, but I was like, Mom, I got to do this interview. I got Dr. Farmer, you know, I can't I got to make sure this gets done? And so I literally sat in um, mm. in, in where Mariah Stewart actually spoke. Right in, mm-hmm. in in the in the bottom room, and so mm-hmm. um, I don't think I had ever <laughs> I'd seen you a lot yeah, of times since then. But yeah, uh, but, but but yeah. So so what does it mean for you to do the work that you do and produce the work? You know, you were just I think uh, you were at a, a book festival with uh, Dr. Kendi, um mm-hmm. and, and other panelists uh, over the weekend. So so you're a busy person. But what does it mean for you to be a historian and a black historian at that? Black women's historian. Um,
0: I mean, history is just the coolest, man. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> um I so I have um I guess there are ways in which history and kind of the archive has been ingrained into me that I didn't realize this. I mean, you know, just to, for listeners who think um, you know, folks that do this podcast have it all figured out. I um I was a French and Spanish major in college. I did not think I would be a professional historian. I also was pre-med. I think I also thought for a second about being a lawyer. So I didn't have um, the straight route I always thought I was going to be. But one of the things that was great about my training at Spelman College is I had great um, history teachers that told me, you know, the kinds of questions you are asking about the world can be answered through history. Um, and they really opened my eyes to the idea that someone could you know, spend their life doing this for a living. Um so the things that I love about history, I love the nitty-gritty. I mean, you know, as complicated as a relationship as I have with the archive, I love archiving. I love the the act of discovery. It's it's very much um kind of like a treasure hunt. Um I love the idea of taking um pieces and finding these little morsels of people's lives, particularly black women's lives, and putting them together and stringing their story and kind of recreating a life before your eyes. And then, like I said, I love what history empowers us to do. I think often, or I can think of nothing in my own life, and I think often when I think about the activists that I study in terms of the things that they cite, is that you need an example. You just need to know that somebody somewhere in the world has been through this, somebody somewhere in the world has tried this, somebody somewhere in the world has, um, you know, believed the same things that you did, and I think that writing that down and sharing that with the world allows people to have that somebody and hopefully go out and, you know, do something different in the world. And I mean, I love teaching. I mean, you know, um, we all him and haw about um, teaching just because I think, and what, what what professors are really saying when they're saying that is sometimes we're frustrated with all the other things that take place that get in the way of us really digging into teaching. But there truly is nothing better than walking somebody through that kind of Self discovery for helping them have that aha moment. You often get students who, um, I think, end up in history classes, particularly a Black history class, because they suspect they haven't been told something or that something's not right. And giving them kind of the lens and the framework with which to talk about it and move forward differently is, you know, it's it's an honor. It's a privilege to be able to do that kind of thing. Um, Yeah, also just a dork at heart,
1: like I just yeah stuff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, for real, no, no, like, that is so real. That is so real.
0: It's that noble. It's just simply like I've always been a geek and a nerd, But one of the things um, that I think is probably an important story to share in relationship to the archive um, that I think will be pertinent for our story is that um, sometimes you don't realize you're on this path until well into it. So um, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. Both my parents are um, graduates of Fisk University, historically black college there. And, um, I used to have to do research papers in middle school and high school. And one of the things that I only realized probably in the last five years is that my father would pick me up after school every day and take me to the Fisk archive. And he was like, you can write about something in here. You know, Mm -hmm, this is your mm -hmm. option, you know? Um, and, I understood it as like, you know, okay, you have to go to the research paper and check out books and stuff. But what that was really doing was my parents saying, you know, not only should you be steeped in your history, but let me also show you how an institution and an archive can embrace you and show you, you know, the life around you and help you make sense of, you know, the life that you live here in Nashville and your family and also Black people more broadly. So there was a way in which um, I was made to be comfortable in an archive as a child that I don't think um, really registered with me until I was an adult. But also then why it's so important for me to emphasize the importance of exposure to an archive and the importance of all people from all walks of life being comfortable going into that space.
1: Most definitely. And, you know, that's, You you touched on so much, and it made me think about the first time that I even went into an archive. I think I was, I I was, I don't know even if I was ten years old, but I uh, I went to the library with my cousin uh, back in South Florida, and we went to go look through old Jet magazines because they had them on Mm -hmm. on a a, a microfilm, and um, I had no clue that that was microfilm. But you know, then you start to realize that moment of. I've been here before, but mm-hmm. much, much younger in a very, very different right. form of life. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And,
1: and it just shows that, as you just mentioned, you sometimes don't know all the mm-hmm. time where you're, you know, what your own story within the archive is until mm-hmm. you literally listen to folks like Dr. A- Dr. Ashley Farmer to discuss archiving while black and you realize, oh, snap. I have been mm-hmm. here before because I, I have, mm-hmm. you know, been situated similarly. And, um, you know, it's just really awesome to hear about all of the, the stories about where you are now and the experiences that you had. But you know, I, I can't let you off without asking you this particular question, though. What intellectual community helped mold you as a scholar? Because you had just mentioned your, you know, your your, mm-hmm. your formative years. But mm-hmm. talk a little bit about your time within graduate school and, and how that, you know, that helped to hone you as well. And you had mentioned uh, Spelman, uh College before, you know, homecoming was last week as well. So, yes, it, it was a good time. Yes. Um,
0: yeah. So I, you know, going to an historically black um school, and particularly Spellman is unique in that, you know, the curriculum is not just Black-focused, but Black women-focused. Um, you know, it taught me how to orient myself to the Black experience. Um, so even though, for example, I was a French and Spanish major there, I didn't learn, I think I had one semester of kind of like regular French history. Everything else was about, um, you know the black diaspora who spoke French by virtue of colonization and slavery. Um, My study abroad experiences were in places where black people who spoke French and Spanish were. Um, So it kind of taught me that it's okay to center things in that way. I actually didn't take a history class until um, my last year there. And um, it was actually with Jelani Cobb, who at the time, you know, worked at Spelman college and, um, He um, was formative in kind of teaching me not only black history, but again, also teaching me that history could answer questions and kind of helping make sense of the world. And, you know, most importantly, in a place like an HBCU, like uh, Spelman, um, I was also nurtured for just helping get to the process of graduate school um, in a way that I think sometimes is more difficult at bigger institutions. as far as you know, graduate school. I actually went into graduate school um, thinking I'd, sp- I'd I'd focus on Black women in the Caribbean, and you know, moved more into being an intellectual historian, and um, you know, studying Black power. And really, the people that did that were the activists themselves. I you know, I took a Black women's a Black intellectual history class and started interviewing Black activists and theorists, and um, you know, they captured my imagination with their stories of how they thought. Um, and I just kind of had to tell it. And I had to make sure that people understood these women for the theorists and the thinkers that they were. So, you know, it, it, when you look back on it, it kind of can all make sense. Um, you know, it certainly didn't make sense as I was doing it. I always want to emphasize that these kind of linear trajectories aren't always what we think they are. But um, I can see how I took pieces and was nurtured by different communities to kind of get where I am today. Um, but that's also why it's so vitally important. I think, to make sure that all these spaces that we enter into are, you know, places where people feel similarly and feel nurtured.
1: Exactly. And one of the aspects that you had just mentioned that is still, depending on where you're situated within academia, mm-hmm. is still uh, deemed a bit controversial as far as uh, evidence goes. Um, yes. you, you, you had mentioned oral histories and, and you yes. know, we're talking about archiving. So, so mm-hmm. you know, let's talk about that in, in a brief couple moments that we we still have.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I also, um, this was, I was thinking about this as we were talking earlier. So, you know, I'm talking about the archive as a very traditional physical place, mm-hmm. but, you know, I also think that we should trouble the notion of the archive in and of itself too, right? Um, especially when we're thinking about black history, because um, the archive is really all around us. I mean, a perfect example would be the Jet Magazine that were probably on your grandma's table that now will become, you know. Part of the microfilm and oral histories are a huge part of that. There's a way in which we teach people that somehow um, the written word is more objective than the than oral history, as if those written texts aren't just as mediated, you know, by different forces as oral histories are. And then also, if you're going to do a history of a people who were literally barred from writing and reading for many years, then those same kinds of evidence and sources can't function. Um, You know, in terms of the written text and the way we would for perhaps other communities. So I think oral histories are vital. I think um, I'm kind of on a crusade to stop kind of marginalizing them as, you know, less than or additive sources, particularly when talking about black people or black women. Um and I also, you know, want people to think about the archive as generally as, as generously as possible. Um archives are certainly the places that we go to in institutions with archivists that collect stuff. Um but archivists or archives are also um in all kinds of community spaces and social media and other places all around us. Um and we should not solely privilege the ones in kind of institutions because that kind of re re um capitulates some of the issues about Um, privilege that I'm talking about in the Archiving Well Black piece.
1: And it's a piece that, believe me, y'all, you need to go read. It is going to really, no matter where you are in this whole thing, historian, scholar, lay person, you need to go read it. And it's also another reason why I wanted to have Dr. Farmer on here is because she has an um, important role with the African American Intellectual History Society, which is the budding, amazing—not only intellectual community, but organization for the study of the, you know, the global Black experience. Right? It has African American, but it's just—it's not just talking about folks within the the space of the continental forty-eight and Hawaii and Alaska. Mm-hmm. We're talking everywhere, y'all. And so, please mm-hmm. go check out Dr. Ashley Farmer's amazing piece, which. Stamp of approval from Adam McNeil, and ain't, ain't got no doctor on there yet, but it's it's coming. You know, coming. Wait, wait, you know, wait for it. Um, you know, at Black Perspectives, the award-winning blog of the African American Intellectual History Society, and this piece is called "Archiving Wild Black." And before we let Doctor Farmer go, is there anything? That that is just burning. You want to let the the audience know, or even you know, let's let's get a little update of uh, what round four might look like for you on new books in African American studies.
0: Um, let's try to think. I don't think we covered everything. Um, but yeah, stay tuned. Hopefully, at one point for um, you know, a biography of Queen Mother Moore, which is what I'm working on next. Um, and it's an interesting um kind of juxtaposition because she is in fact a woman that largely that lived for almost a hundred years, but has virtually no archive in the traditional sense, right? In the way we think about it. So um one of the things that I'm tackling in that book is um how to talk about and document black women's thoughts and movements in the absence of the and the absence of what we deem traditional archives and how can these women help us kind of rethink the archive as a space.
1: Boom. And actually you know what? You did mention just something that was interesting. Mm-hmm. The challenge. What's the biggest challenge you have with any yeah. of your projects, right? Not with not only archivally, but just what would you say are your biggest challenge is just generally within any of your projects?
0: Um, I would say that it is um, probably just locating, um, locating archives. They're either spread really far out in a way, you know, I mean, for example, Queen Mother Moore, I find a snippet of a piece of paper here, a snippet of a piece of paper there, but that is speaking to our larger question of how do we collect black women's lives um, and voices and thoughts. Um And honestly, also just um, funding to go do this kind of archival work. I think we have to work at different sites and in different ways um, because some of the stuff is not as easily collected as more traditional um, uh, subjects or or people. Um, So that is also thinking about one of the ways in which, um, you know, folks that do this kind of work are um, disadvantaged in the sense that, um, you know, archiving may take longer Um, It's certainly usually more expensive and the repositories that the stuff might be found in um, are sometimes not always connected to big universities that can offer funding or, you know, space for that kind of work.
1: This is very true. This is very true. And you know what? I definitely look forward to this, you know, fourth iteration of your time on the podcast. (laughs) And, you know, it's always a pleasure and um, it's it's always an honor to have you on. And, you know, like I said, just like the Archive of Black Peace, you know, has done re- really well um as far as clicks and downloads. I'm pretty sure that this interview is going to do the same. And so, yes. absolutely. And so once again, folks, we have had the blessing and the honor to have one of my favorite guests. The person who has been on for three different times and her name is. Dr. Ashley Farmer, Assistant Professor of African and African Diaspora Studies and History at the University of Texas at Austin. And so, folks, I am your host, Adam McNeil from New Books and African American Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. Over and out.